Welcome to the Extraction Podcast. I'm Alex Hamer. This week, new BP Chief Executive Bernard Looney announced the major goal of getting his company to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. This is net zero absolute carbon emissions, and he also promised to halve the carbon intensity of products BP both produces and sells through its retail network. Obviously, BP hasn't committed to drop in production, but Mr Looney said this is a likely outcome of this promise. With me is Pamia Gordon oil and gas analyst Colin Smith. Yesterday, put out a note called Believing in Bernard. Colin, welcome. To start with, were you surprised by the scope of this plan? I think the idea that BP was going to significantly step up its commitments to reducing its carbon emissions or offsetting its carbon emissions had been pretty well trailed. So I don't think that the fact that they did so was a surprise. What are interesting, I think, are the actual commitments that were made but also the the lack of detail surrounding them, which I think has been pretty publicly commented on. Although, as Mr Looney made entirely clear, um, there will be further presentation in September, which a lot of the meat, if you like, will start to get put on the bones of what he set out. I think the thing that was a bit more surprised to me was just the scale of the reorganisation that was announced at the same time, because that is quite radical. And it's radical because BP has long operators upstream, downstream and other, really. How does this jumble of, of departments and strategies actually affect their, their working, you think? How will it affect their working? Uh, at the moment, it's a little difficult to tell, actually. I mean, what is most interesting, I think, is the idea of putting the upstream and downstream operations together. Uh, the other business units, I think, are a bit more easy to understand but with all of these things, it will be a matter of how the interfaces between them actually work. And at this point, for example, it's not entirely clear who drives a particular project and how capital allocation will be made in it. In addition, some of the other um, uh, EV, so executive suite level businesses that are being set up are completely new. Things like uh, regions, cities and solutions, precisely what does that do? I think we can see that it feeds into part of the narrative that BP set out, which was not just to address carbon emissions in its own operations, but also to play a larger role in advocating and promoting uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction more broadly in the world. And I've, I've driven you straight to how the company will work in this in this new loony era, but the actual content of his of his announcement should be should be the focus here, I guess. What they've said is that they want to um, offset 415 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent emissions per year. That's 55 uh, million tons, scope one and two, so directly from their operations or, or the power that, that drives them, and then 360 million tons from they they call it the carbon content. It's kind of scope three, which is the the kind of end emissions from things you sell to people. Why has why do you think they've they've gone this semi scope three route? What what do you think the decision the the thinking there is? Well, I think the first thing to recognise is that actually taking responsibility for absolute reductions in the embedded carbon in the oil and gas that BP, excluding Rosneft, produces, is actually a very significant commitment within the industry. I think it's a first important thing to recognise about this. I think what they're saying is that if you look at their total sales, their total sales include embedded carbon of about a thousand million tonnes. They are proposing to offset the carbon that is within the oil and gas that they themselves produce. Um, but within the total sales that they are um, uh, making, 
their intention is to reduce the uh, carbon content of that by 50%. At this point, we don't quite know what they think their starting point is. And therefore, it's, it, that is one of the things I think that they need to flesh out in the detail. But I think the important point is that they have taken actually a very large step because, as uh, Mr. Looney made clear, this is an expectation that they will reduce in absolute terms or offset in absolute terms that embedded carbon. And I think on the difference between sold responsibility, basically, so that they run a massive retail network, I guess the equivalent for, say, a mining company, this scope three has also come up in mining companies where, say, BHP, for example, it doesn't buy a lot of iron ore from someone else and then sell it on to steelmakers, for example. So I guess that's the difference here between scope three in mining, um, scope three in oil and gas with a retail network. So I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one to, to pin down for them. Moving on to the actual, you, you mentioned the carbon intensity of their of their products, and they need to do a bit of work there to actually work out what that is. I mean, is that something that's quite standard across the industry now? A few other super majors have, have already said carbon intensity is a, is a focus. Is that BP catching up on that front? Um, actually, uh, really only Shell, I think, has set out a carbon intensity number for which it is intending to cut from, uh, and that is 80 grams of carbon dioxide equivalent per gigajoule of energy. So it's quite complicated uh, sort of types of measurements that we're talking here. And so I think it's fairly early days for the industry to completely get to grips with the new nomenclature that's coming within this whole debate. So I think that's the first thing that I would I would say about it. I think it, it marks a broader point, though, which is, although everyone is very concerned clearly about climate change, what needs to be done, um, actually understanding and some common ground in which the industry reports and is understood is still severely lacking, I think, at the moment, and is something that's a, a work in progress to which I think this is adding. BP is a, is a massive company. Most people in the UK and, and beyond are familiar with it. Do you think BP putting its hand up and, and joining a movement to cut carbon intensity and absolute carbon emissions will help generate standards on that front? It may do, and it's certainly um, part of uh, BP's external objectives, which they set out, uh, which Mr. Looney set out in his speech, that they play a larger role in that. So advocacy uh, for carbon dioxide emission reduction, uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction, was absolutely part of the agenda that that, that Mr. Looney set out. Um, so will that be the standard setter? I don't think that's quite the way of thinking about it, but I think it is part of the contribution to the overall debate about how to move it forward. And I think it probably does uh, increase the pressure on other oil and gas companies uh, to commit to do more. Uh, obviously, at this point, what we tend to see is that the uh, large cap European companies have uh, spoken a lot more about the need to reduce emissions and started to put in specific targets and things that they are doing. Uh, that's not something that's been replicated yet elsewhere in the world. Looking at the actual operational consequences of this decision, a lot of our listeners will hold BP either directly or, or through funds and will enjoy that 6% dividend yield. Now, Mr Looney has said we want to maintain cash flow dividends and the the capex i think they call it the, the capex sphere or capex equation will stay the same how do you think they're going to be able to achieve all those objectives at the same time 
I think in the short to near term, it's relatively easy to do because there's no major change in the actual operating posture that the company has right now. It becomes a much more important question about what the returns characteristics of the investments into the non-oil and gas space, which was clearly flagged up um, uh, by Mr. Looney uh, in the agenda that he set out. And indeed, that's a question that everybody's asking. The, the real problem here is that if you are going to get the kind of decarbonisation that's called for, you really do need a huge amount of policy support, which has to come from governments and it has to come globally. And that's not in place at the moment. Um, I don't think it is likely that BP or any other company is going to invest without an adequate rate of return uh, into whatever it might happen to be. And that, of course, I think is the is a key issue for uh, not just BB, but for all of the other companies that are thinking about what a transition might look like as we move away from hydrocarbons. Because on a business-as-usual uh, basis, oil and gas, indeed, in, and coal are still likely to be not far short of 75% of global primary energy supply in uh, 2040, which is where they are now. The science calls for something completely different, and that will only be delivered if governments around the world really step up and make meaningful change. I think that's partly where, or rather where, if you like, the major criticism comes of what BP set out. It's very easy to talk about 2050, or as the UK government has just done, 2035. But if these objectives are going to be met, much tougher action needs to be taken now in much nearer timeframes. And I think that is where it will start to get a lot more interesting for BP when those types of targets and timeframes are set out, we assume sometime in September, because then it will be a lot easier to understand what the actual implications of what they are thinking uh, uh, might be. You, you raised some really good points there, both the the, the need for government to, to help out um, a bit more in this, the the competition for high quality barrels, basically, where you, know, you mentioned in your note that there is a value over volume trade-off and perhaps that will lead to production declining at some point. And as you say, in September, we'll find out more. But if I just punt this 10 years into the future, why not just leave oil production to the Saudis, to, you know, state-run businesses that aren't going to cut production to save the planet in the near term? If you really want to make a difference, why not just change things very quickly to get to that, you know, 2030 production reduction that, that so many advocates say we need? I think, first of all, it would be a mistake just to suggest that Saudi Aramco is not interested in climate issues. I mean, they are, they are and they invest a lot of money into it. Um, but I think the suggestion effectively that um, BP just shut up shop or and let somebody else produce it is actually, frankly, an exercise in virtue signalling on a grandiose scale. I mean, first of all, just coming back to the agenda that BP has set out, I mean, they have set out to offset all their greenhouse gas emissions from their direct operations and from the oil and, and that is embedded in the oil and gas that they produce. That's a significant commitment. And it's it's not necessarily just about the quality of the barrels. It's how do you do that? If oil and gas is going to continue to be you know a large part of the energy mix, uh, which it probably will be, then things like carbon capture become very important at scale. And that simply isn't happening at the moment. And again, the reason it's not happening is that governments collectively have not made the kind of policy changes that would make the use of carbon priced at a level that would make these types of solutions work. So 
Uh, I mean, technically, a lot of these things are doable. They haven't been done at scale. And the reason they haven't been done at scale is because it's not profitable to do so. I think the point about um, the climate debate is it actually does need global contributions from all of the major consumers, and it actually requires a radical change in customer behavior. And that, I think, is partly why politicians are somewhat reticent about um, putting that agenda properly forward on a timescale that really matters, um, because I think there is actually at the moment a bit of a a false discussion between the idea that this transition is relatively painless as opposed to what does it really mean. I think it also is important to recognise that executing in this transition almost certainly means that energy, the cost of the global energy system will go up very markedly from where they are, probably multiples. And that actually has a knock-on impact on global GDP growth, which directly impacts the improvement in welfare of the lives of those in the developing parts of the world who actually will account for the vast majority, in fact, all of the increase in energy usage through 2040. And that point about the developing world is, is really interesting because, once again, Bernaludian was asked this on Wednesday and he, he was asked, how can you say that to the person asking the question was from Egypt? And he said, you, you look at Egypt and you say, you know, you must move to lower carbon power generation, but at what cost? Who's paying for it? You know, those questions come up pretty easily. Um, and he said, why should we expect you in Egypt and, and elsewhere to um, install what should soon become last year's technology, the last decade's technology? So he talked about um, power generation, skipping a generation, basically. Do you think that's that's viable, suggesting companies are able to install renewables or even lower carbon power generation that easily? Well, I think places like Egypt already are installing solar PV and things like that. And and renewables, the use of renewables is growing very rapidly, much more rapidly than um, other energy sources. Um, it's just that it's coming from a very small base. So the, the, the issue is the kind of scale and pace at which this needs to happen if the requirements that the science says we need to meet are actually going to be are going to be met so you need a, a massive transition of a scale that simply is not being contemplated by any country in the world at the moment if the paris agreement uh, goals are to be met and i mean just to put this in perspective this is the year in which the enhanced uh, nationally determined contributions are supposed to be stepped up to get us a bit closer towards meeting the Paris goals. And so far as I'm aware, um, two small islands in the world have met the deadline for increasing their contributions. No other country has. Unfortunately, those islands aren't Australia and and uh, and Greenland. But very, very important point there where you've got these, these quite... The Paris goals are two degrees, 1.5 is a stretch goal. And the idea that there's a carbon budget within that, and people specifically look to 2030 for that, means that there you can put numbers on this. You know, I think I think Carbon Brief or Carbon Tracker said that um, Shell and BP need to cut production by I think between 10 and 30 percent over the coming decade in order to meet that carbon budget um, or not break that carbon budget, basically. And Mr. Looney was asked this. He said, "We're going to give you more detail in September, so hold your horses." But we're probably not going to do that. I think that was his his um, vibe, if not his direct answer. The, all this talk we've got, we've got kind of the Paris goals, and we've got a company saying it's going to do its best to 
to align itself with them. There seems to be a lot of space in the middle there, though. Well, I guess, I guess my view would be, if if BP were simply to stop producing oil and gas, the customer demand is out there. So it's sort of a bit like your earlier suggestion: it's going to come from somewhere, if not from BP. I think it is much better that companies like BP、um, are part of that supply because they clearly are willing、uh, to do a lot more to, if you like, behave responsibility or in line with the. With the Paris goals, but I do think it is very difficult to pin direct responsibility on companies for something that is really only going to happen if governments get, actually do get together and change the,、uh, uh, you know, change the way the system works. I mean, it is unreasonable, I think, to expect private enterprise essentially to shut itself up in order, shut itself off in order to do this. And I think what you probably end up with is. Dirtier production coming into the world than otherwise would have been the case. So I think it's very important that these companies remain part of the solution, rather than they, they are pushed out because there is a view that because they produce oil and gas, they are simply bad, and that's that. It's actually a much more nuanced and complicated argument, I think.、Um, and the sooner we actually start having those discussions properly, the better.、Well, Colin Smith, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time and.、Um Yeah, we we can't wait for September. It seems. I think September is going to be very interesting. Thanks very much. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to eighty-nine percent off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over one million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code Program for a special offer. That's Stamps.com code Program.